Hey everyone, Michael here. Just wanted to let you know that our first segment is about Pat Fitzgerald and the hazing scandal that happened at Northwestern. It's an ongoing story, and as you'll hear from our first segment, we recorded this on Monday afternoon, finishing up about 6 p.m. And about an hour and a half after that happened, it was announced and has been reported that Pat Fitzgerald has been fired at Northwestern. Of course, we did not have that information when we started recording, as you will hear, but we still thought it was important to get our thoughts out there and hope you will find the discussion meaningful as well. Anyway, thanks for listening and just wanted you to have that context as you go into this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I am here with Michael Shutt. If you ever want to reach the show, you can email us at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com, or you can follow us on social media at PWOPod on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, man. I'm really just stalling because I don't want to talk about our first segment, which is... But you know we have to. Yeah. It's kind of a continuation of last week, but in a less fun way so last or two weeks ago because we took the week off for fourth of july but last episode we talked about having a uh coaches behaving badly type segment and then um this past week news broke of a certain big 10 program having some having some issues right so opening the show we'll get the unpleasantness out of the way first Northwestern's football program is under intense scrutiny right now after hazing allegations have been brought to public light by some student reporters that this was something that uh, started back in November where an anonymous player, former player or current player brought a complaint against the school and it was investigated by an independent party for a period of about six months and then the school got the report of that investigation and seemed to do a Friday afternoon news dump mm-hmm. by saying that it was concluded and suspending their coach, Pat Fitzgerald, for two weeks without pay over the summer. And I think they thought that might be where the end of the story would happen is, there you go. Hey, we suspended some some stuff went on and we're going to move on. But as it turns out, the story continues to evolve and we're recording this on Monday afternoon. So it is conceivable that something new will come out in the interval of us recording and it being released. But yeah, I mean, we got more just today. Like This afternoon, there was some more stuff that came out also from the Northwestern student newspaper, which I mean, <laughs> this is the thing like Northwestern has this very well-respected journalism school and here's you know those those students doing doing their work doing their job and it's it's an interesting situation for a lot of reasons obviously all bad I mean there's there's really no positives here other than an opportunity to get some bad things out in the light and hopefully remedy the situation but uh, you know I think first thoughts, right, and in, in just the initial report. I'll get into a little bit later the stuff that came out this afternoon. But, you know, just from what we learned over the weekend. So Friday afternoon, like you said, they dumped this this report that 
there had been a complaint. They did the investigation. The first report comes out of the two-week suspension. The investigation, the law firm that conducted the investigation said that claims of hazing were, quote, largely supported by evidence. (laughs) Not great. And that, quote, there was widespread participation in or knowledge of hazing activities by players. So that's what came out publicly. Then on Saturday, you have the report coming out from the student newspaper with one or two, I think it was two. Uh, Two people. Two anonymous former players who gave details, including apparently there was some photographic evidence that was not published, probably for good reason. And then you get this denial from the Northwestern football program. They issued a statement that was interestingly enough signed the, in all caps, entire Northwestern football team. Hard to say how much of that is orchestrated by players versus coaches and staff. But here's my thing. If it's just two anonymous players, if they had no evidence, this investigation wouldn't have led to what it led to. So it's pretty clear they found, I mean, they said they found evidence. Right. How, I I guess my, my first question, how do you encounter what we know now in terms of knowing what some of that evidence was and land on only a two-week suspension for Pat Fitzgerald as the only, seemingly the only, and they had to like, they traditionally have practiced in Wisconsin for part of their summertime. So like they've moved that back to campus. They can no longer, they're no longer allowed to do that. And also they have to have a non-coach, somebody who's not a coach in the football program in the locker room. So those seem to be the only consequences initially. How in the world do you justify that? Right. So especially, I think I think the the report's finding was that the complaint was largely supported by other people. So that means that they, whatever the specific details, and I don't want us to really go into no. details on this because I think that's just, you can re- find that anywhere. But it's largely supported by the evidence. So that means they found something bad. Mm-hmm. And their reaction is, okay, we found something bad. We're going to suspend the coach for two weeks in the summer when it doesn't matter. We're going to maybe add somebody to the locker room yeah. situation. We're going to move their trips, you know, more closer to campus so that we can monitor them. So that's an acknowledgement that something bad happened. If they found, like you said, if they found nothing bad, none of that would have happened. You wouldn't have to suspend the head coach. You wouldn't have to publicly come out. Pat Fitzgerald is somebody that is widely respected and loved among the Northwestern community having been a former player there, mm-hmm. having taken them to the Rose Bowl, having the best seasons that Northwestern has ever had, and like you said, a program that is at a school with a huge sports journalism department. So you have a lot of people that are connected to it, famous faces. Yeah. So all of that is really bad. And then the school's decision to suspend him for two weeks, I mean, we'll never know exactly what the President Schill mm-hmm. was, is his name, I don't know what exactly he was thinking, but I think he thought this we're a private school. We don't have to release this investigation. Yeah. That'll just be the end of it. Yeah. It does seem that way. I mean, all we have is what he said. So in his statement, uh, Michael Schild, president of Northwestern said, uh, quote, I focused too much on what the report concluded. He, Pat Fitzgerald didn't know and not enough on what he should have known. And this gets to what I think is the most important thing here. So it seems the report, Maybe suggested the report of the of uh, the investigation suggests that maybe Pat Fitzgerald was not super clued in, which is not what the anonymous 
players have said. To me, there still is a question of did he know, did he not know? But I guess my bigger question that that I think I have my own personal answer to is does it even matter? And I don't think it matters whether he knows or not because he should have known. There were t- and, and the initial report does say that there were plenty of opportunities for him to discover and to know, and he didn't. So to me, that goes to something we've talked about before, which is coaches are responsible for being leaders and being and being in charge of their program. If something happens, whether you know about it or not, if it's something you should have known about, you're still responsible for that. I felt this way with the the Carolina academic scandal when they were like, well, coaches you know, knew something. No, it's your job to know what's going on. And especially when it comes to hazing in your locker room and in your practices and within your program in general, it is your job to know. And I think you're probably right. I think they felt like they could just say, here's what it was, not give the details. And then once it came out, they realized for one reason or another, whether it's overcaught or maybe I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I I think it's never too late to do the right thing. Maybe uh, uh, Michael Schill genuinely was like, you know what? I screwed up seeing the details again. I got to do right by this. Uh, like maybe that's true. I the don't know. cynical side of the table yeah. <laughs> over here is that he got caught yeah, and sure. they had to actually react to a brewing cloud of outrage in the summer where there's not a lot going on sports wise. Right. But yeah, you're exactly right. So for one, I mean, we're at a much lower level than this, but we both coach high school basketball mm-hmm. and it is Part of our conversations at the very beginning when we're starting a program with our players, with parents who are new to the program, that hazing is not going to be okay. To the level of like, we don't let older students say to younger students, hey, carry our bags. Right. Like that's just not allowed. So yes, we don't see every minute of them in the locker room and whatever, but we establish that. And Pat Fitzgerald is the guy known for culture. His whole deal at Northwestern is that he changed the cultural norms and made them a winning football team. He's a great young leader. He's burned the NFL because he wanted to stay at his alma mater and coach. And there's no conceivable way. Like, I, I agree with you that it like it doesn't matter in terms of whether he should be fired. It does matter in terms of like how culpable he is. Like in the same way that if you murder someone intentionally, that's worse than yeah. if you hit them with your car, even though they're dead at the end. Right. right. But like, I think you you have an entire staff, you have hundreds of people, assistants, grad assistants, coaches, people doing tape of everything. There is no way that no one saw something mm-hmm. and didn't escalate it to him. Like I find that to be incredulous to believe and if that is true that he's so disconnected that no one feels that they could report something like that to him or he's so unaware of what his players are doing then he should be fired for that reason honestly yeah i mean this this for decades has been the scariest phrase to hear for college programs the lack of institutional control to me this this screams that right this screams this idea that that he didn't really have control over his program at all or he did and and there's it's kind of lose lose and i think it's you know this whole thing is made so much more difficult as you've kind of gotten at the, the fact that he is an alum he's been there forever he's a legend he's kind of he could be there barring something like this he could be there as long as he wanted to i mean this this is i saw this and we'll get come back to the other example of this and i think it is interesting we've talked a lot about bob huggins and we're going to talk a little bit more today about it but these two guys are like the best examples of 
coaches who are alums of their program and are, you know, at one point thought to be untouchable and just completely letting it go down. And I, I saw the term used of uh, referring to Huggins as coach slash emperor. And like, I mean, honestly, when it came to Northwestern football, that's Pat Fitzgerald as well. And, and you just see that now going down the drain in a different kind of sense. I, I think he's handling it differently. I mean, so far, we haven't really seen much from him. But I think this is – it was such a shocking story to read for me personally as a sports fan. I don't have any tie to Northwestern or anything like that. But he's just always seemed like one of the good guys of the sport. And I haven't really have ever had a reason to think you know, poorly of him. Uh, and then you get this extreme situation. Yeah, I think that's one of the undercurrents of sports that I've seen a lot of people react to this by saying, this happens everywhere. This happens in the NBA. This happens in all these other teams, intercollegiate. It happens in high school. Hazing is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't make it good. It's, no. it's still not good. People can be really scarred for life from these kind of things that be injured or you know there are certain examples of people dying and it should be something we're moving away from and it is i think but right it's obviously still there right i think the second part of this that we should touch on is that there are more reporting today about some racial elements to this as well so there have been players that have come out in addition to supporting the claims of hazing have also said that there was racial undertones they, they framed it as a culture of enabling racism there was one player who was named you know i know a number of people were anonymous and mm-hmm. that makes people angry that people won't stand by their words there's one person who was named himself and said that he felt like he couldn't be anything other than white as a latino player they had players who were forced to cut, cut off dreadlocks because they were trying to be part of the wildcat way and again, all of that kind of culture stuff he, that he has strong opinions on, people have to look a certain way, they have to act a certain way in the locker room. This is why it makes it so difficult for me to believe that he didn't know about things. He, that when, when coaches are, coaches are insane micromanagers, the successful ones, mm-hmm. they, there's just no way, like they, ha- they want to control every minute of yeah. every day, what every rep at practice looks like. The idea that this apparently he has thoughts on what hair people should have on his team. That's the thing. You can't say that you wanted that or that he had that attention to detail, if you want to frame it that way, but didn't know about what was going on in his locker room. Like if he cares that much. And I do think it's super important. And and it's interesting because the quote that I pulled from the report from today that I just thought was mind boggling. And it came, I think, from one of the from the player that you mentioned who named himself, and I think it's important to, to so he was a offensive lineman there from 05 to 08, uh, Ramon Diaz, and his, what his wording was that racism was, quote, central in the program's culture. So this isn't just, hey, there's some things that feel a certain way, central in the program's culture. Now, and here's my thing on this, because I gave a lot of thought to this today, and I know that there's plenty of people out there who, when it comes to sports, are like, just, you know, stick to sports. We don't care about this stuff. This should make you mad, too. Right. So so I know that I'm on the side of, like, stuff like this. I am very sensitive to it. I get very upset about it. Um, and I think you feel the same way. And I know you feel the same way. And, and there's lots of people who feel that way. But, I, again, I know there's plenty of fans out there who are like, whatever. I don't want this in my sports. I just want it to be about football. 
this should still piss you off then. Because if it's just about football, why does it matter that not only black players but black coaches were forced to cut their dreadlocks, while white players with long hair were not forced to cut their hair? That shouldn't matter at all. Whether it's from a racial justice standpoint or just stick to football, wherever you are on that spectrum, there's no room to be okay with this. And when Ramon Diaz talks about his experiences and the fact that this is someone who now is a professional clinical therapist who has been diagnosed himself with PTSD because of his experiences in the Northwestern football program. Pat Fitzgerald being fired should happen, if not more. There should be more consequences. And I don't know, I, I, I hate to think about what those consequences are that could have more adverse effects on kids just trying to play college football. But this program, this university, has to be put in check. When Ramon Diaz being, when he's talked about how uh, a coach asked him to clean up a dirty room in the football offices and, and said that it's because his family must know how to clean houses because of his Hispanic background. And the same coach told a black teammate to stop wearing certain hats because he, quote, wasn't in the hood anymore and called the way he walked a, quote, gangster walk. This is unacceptable behavior. Coaches didn't know about that. Right. There's no way. So this is awful. Pat Fitzgerald, And the part that pisses me off the most is Pat Fitzgerald is going to get fired. And then or s- have to be resign. Sure. And I think it's very likely that he will resign in the next 36 to 48 hours. So either but. way, he's going to be gone. He's going to take a year off. He might even be on TV this football season as like a analyst. Either way, in the next year or two, some program, their fan base and their boosters are going to be clamoring to hire him. And he'll be back. I'm not sure about that, but we'll see. I am. I, I will say, I think, again, even if I, I'm happy to give Pat Fitzgerald and the program the benefit of the doubt and wait to see what else comes out. But at the same time, like these are all serious. Like everything about this is extremely serious. It should trouble you if you're Pat Fitzgerald. It should trouble you if you're a Northwestern alum or a fan. Like you said, it should make you mad regardless if I were a UVA fan and I found out that this happened with Tony Bennett, mm-hmm. as much as, as the national championship, great, all that other stuff, it would make me like the team less and root for the team less to yeah. have him on the sidelines, period. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to support something like that going on. No, absolutely. And, and I just, I'll push back on the skepticism that, he have, that he'll have a job. Brian Kelly killed a guy. Not directly, I understand. But Brian Kelly... We all, it's funny how quickly we forget about that kind of thing. But I think this is worse in a way because it's both racial and hazing and in the entire institutional fabric of what he does with a program. It's not – I mean, if, if he gets another right. job, it might be you know being um, some kind of analyst for a, a program or something like that where he doesn't have control. It'll be very difficult to give him full control. Again, more things to come out about this, but – I I don't see any other way for this to go other than he either resigns or is fired. I definitely think that'll happen. And I think you could you're probably right in that he's not gonna while I think there will be people clamoring for him immediately, he may not be able to go straight into it. I think I could see him Well, there might be like the NCAA gets involved and does a show cause thing, right. you know, like that that's still that's to fair. be determined. But I could I could just see the like it's different circumstances, but I could see the Bobby Petrino route, right? He's like does some little assistant, like kind of thing, works his way back up, or or Rick Patino. I just don't have a lot of faith that he's going to see long term 
consequences. And and I just, I, I mean, I hope I'm proven wrong. Like, and this is where I think there's there's certain segments of the population out there that are gonna, you know, maybe if he gets fired and can't get a job, there's gonna be some like, oh, he got canceled or whatever. This goes beyond that to me. But I, well, I, there are already people not necessarily saying he's being canceled, but there are a significant number of high-profile sports journalists who are from Northwestern who have very specific contacts with him, friends with Pat Fitzgerald, friends with the coaching staff, who have been very hesitant to say anything negative about this. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's hard to say something negative about a friend or somebody who's brought in a lot of money to your university, but also he's not... Kirby Smart winning national championships. Like it wouldn't make it right even if it was Kirby Smart. It wouldn't. Right. But at the same time, like what has Northwestern done like that would make you defend him across all lines? Yeah. Like I I don't know. Yeah, there there's no I don't know. I I feel like if this were if one of my personal friends like was involved in this, if Pat Fitzgerald was a friend of mine, I like I'm sorry, but there's a certain line that once you once you pass that like i'm not it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the previous connection was if if this is what you're doing like behind closed doors or when your friends aren't looking or when the espn cameras aren't on that's what matters and that's who that's who a man is like what do you do when you think people aren't looking and props to the student paper Right, like yeah, those those <laughs> those kids deserve a lot of respect for going with this. They knew that they were going to get blowback. They yeah. knew that they were going up against many high profile donors and sports journalists and people who were not going to want to hear this. And props to the anonymous uh, kids yeah. too, talking about their experience. Like that's that's a really really hard thing to do. I'm sure it was a traumatic experience to relive that for a lot of them. And kudos for being brave about it and coming forward. That's why I would really encourage if, if people saw the initial report but haven't read the thing that came out today, the article about the racism in the program where Ramon Diaz is the main person they interview and he does name himself. And that's why I think his is so powerful because he's talking – I think one of the things we often see with stories like this is people who want to ask like, why are you coming out with this now? Why come forward with your story now? Why not immediately when it happened? And, and we know there's a million reasons for that. And that's sort of the goal of hazing, right, is to keep people from like, you know, you're, you're putting them down and they don't feel like they're in a position of power. But he talks a lot about some of the psychological impact and what it took for him to get to a place where he felt like he could come forward with his experiences. And that's not to be taken lightly. And I think that that the trauma of these players experiences extends then as well to these student reporters who had to uncover this information and talk about it and, and come forward with this, like it's a different kind of trauma, but it's there. Like this is none of this is easy. And there's a reason that we're not talking about the details of the first report. Like it's awful stuff. And that's something that the most important thing is we can spend however long we want to talking about what happens with Pat Fitzgerald professionally and what happens to a football program. But the reality is that there's kids now adults, right, former athletes who are affected by this stuff. And that impact doesn't just go away because Pat Fitzgerald gets fired or resigns or whatever. This is, I mean, it's just, it's awful. And, and you know, I hope that the only thing, the only optimism I could have about this is that 
by talking about it, by having the report put out there, by having hopefully real consequences coming, that maybe this prevents the next thing. But unfortunately, this isn't a new thing. So so it's hard to feel that way fully. Right. Or at least stops it if it's going on right now. I mean, you would have to think that if this is going on at other schools, players and coaches would probably having conversations with their teams right now. Yeah. If they were smart and saying, oh, I think everything has to stop anything that you're doing that's even remotely close to this has to stop right now. Yeah. If you're a college coach and you haven't called a meeting yet or at least like planned for one, I understand it's the summer. And so depending on the sport and the school, you may not have access to all your kids right now. But like if you haven't at least thought about that or reached out to people on your team, you're doing it wrong. You should absolutely be taking this and saying, we're all going to, even if you know it's not a problem. So let's talk about like maybe Tony Bennett. I have pretty good confidence that stuff like this probably doesn't happen in Tony Bennett's program. He still should be meeting with his kids right. and saying, and his coaches and saying, look, I know we're probably good, but let's make sure. And, and, and it better never happen or you're gone immediately. There's no tolerance for it. Yeah. Very sad story. A slightly less sad story, but still sad. A different kind of sad. Really. Well, and again, so many parallels. Like there are some parallels. Certainly, uh, we want to talk about Bob Huggins and his decision to announce that he is looking to be reinstated mm. and possibly sue West Virginia because he didn't actually resign. He says this is wild. It's very strange for I- a Hall of Fame coach. Not just some guy. This isn't like a D3 school with some guy. This is a Hall of Fame level coach. Yeah. This feels like a like a Tim Robinson sketch or something. Like it feels like it's like I I quit. Ah, No, I don't really quit. Uh, Maybe I quit. Like it's just um, I don't get it. And there's a lot of layers to this things that I think are interesting. One, as made clear in the letter sent by his legal representation that Bob Huggins has in fact entered a rehabilitation program. Good. That is a good, good for thing. Him. That is a good thing. The letter was interesting. It, it had some consistencies with the uh, statement that we brought up a few weeks ago that his daughter had put out on Facebook um, saying that West Virginia didn't seem to have much interest in like actually investigating what happened there. So that they're sticking with that story that West Virginia just sort of had an agenda here which is interesting. I'm not sure that I totally understand it. One of the things I'm so interested in, did you see the letter that West Virginia sent back? I mean, they they came back hard. Right. But the interesting thing is they're like, okay, so his old lawyer, who had been with him for decades, is proceeding as though Bob Huggins resigned. And they've been negotiating like the compensation the and everything. Mm-hmm. And then now there's this new one who's saying... So, who's saying that he didn't resign. And so their letter back was like, look, just tell us what's happening. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That's the first part. Yeah, that that whole confusion, like that was when that first happened and I saw the lawyer that was involved in that, I was like, that name doesn't sound familiar. No. That wasn't the lawyer's name that I had heard about before. So yeah, that was that was very strange and probably hurts his chances of getting any kind of compensation or negotiated deal for yeah. whatever his firing buyout whatever you want to call it is but here's the thing i want to know i think this is important long term for law and relationships because i feel like a lot of people's relationships have ended they just are like they're done Mm. but have they really gotten confirmation that it's over Mm -hmm. you know like if you're in a relationship and then you know you text and you break up 
And then later you're like, well, wait a minute. Where, did you actually text that or was that your friend? Was it a text from your wife? Was it a text? Well, that would be very confusing. <laughs> but like if it, you know, I feel like a lot of people may actually still be in relationships that they don't know about. Could be. I, I actually do. Um, I think about this and I think about like definitely have been some people that when I was younger, like, you know, a teenager, like a kid, there's girls I dated. I don't know that we ever like officially broke up you gotta get yet like you have to apparently say aloud we are i am resigning assigned like michael scott you have to (laughs) declare bankruptcy (laughs) i need the paperwork so it's interesting yeah i guess i need to tell my wife that i might have some girlfriends out there and i think some of them are probably married with kids and stuff so it's gonna be real awkward yeah i just i guess i've got so much confusion around this so couple of things that just seem like big question marks to me. So three weeks ago, there was a public statement put out by West Virginia University that was attributed to, to Bob Huggins saying that he was resigning and retiring. Three weeks and ago. And also saying like that he was sorry. Right. So this, so, okay. Acknowledging some level of wrongdoing in sure. all of this and uh, remorse. So, so maybe the, the story is from the Huggins side of things that he didn't really prove that the university put it out and attributed to him without his approval. Okay. So this is where I would say this is a circumstance where it may be appropriate to say, why now? Why three weeks later? Again, you mentioned before, we both coach high school basketball. If the school that we work for put out a statement that said that I resigned and I hadn't, I think I immediately would be like, hey, hold, hold, I would have gotten on the phone with any number of important reporters <laughs> and said, no, that's not what's happening. Seems like this is weird. Also, allegedly, as part of that statement, as part, and this has been consistently communicated and is in line with what, what has happened since in terms of players entering the transfer portal, and decisions made about who's going to coach them in the interim. He met with the players, supposedly that day that he resigned. That he So he sat and had a face-to-face meeting with players and coaches. What so, did he tell them? So, that's what I'm saying. So sometime in that three weeks, if he didn't resign, if so, okay, so put yourself in the, in the shoes of a West Virginia basketball player. You play for Bob Huggins. This thing happens. You have a meeting. I don't know what Bob – let's say Bob Huggins does not resign in that meeting as he's saying that – he never resigned. Hey guys, this is really tough, but I'm <laughs> going to be back get, next year. We're going to get through it. Whatever. And then everywhere in sports media for the next three weeks, you see that your coach has resigned. Are you not saying anything? Like, don't you think you would be like, um, hold on. I basketball player at West Virginia university was in that meeting and he actually didn't say he was leaving. Yeah, I don't need to. I don't need to join the transfer portal yeah. and go to North Carolina because my coach that I decided to play with is here. So that seems odd, right? Why would these players have entered the transfer pool? Like It just, it, I don't know, this whole thing just super strange. My guess is that he, his lawyer thinks that there's something that he can get out of this by saying that he didn't formally resign and that he was technically fired, that yeah. he thinks that there's some kind of legal financial benefit in saying that because if you resign you're kind of like turning down your own contract and saying like oh i'm just out i'm done yeah but if you're actually fired then they have to either show cause or do all this other stuff and i mean i do think there's probably some kind of vindictive element to this like if you really 
This is a guy who grew up in Morgantown, went to West Virginia, is a as West Virginia as they come. The idea that he would just like set fire to the school seems kind of crazy, but I think there has to be some element of that. He's mad that they would force him out over something like this and not defend him in the same way that they defended him over the the slurs on the <laughs> radio show. I mean, like I think he there has to be some level to this. This is me projecting, but there has to be some level to this where he thinks I'm a Hall of Fame coach. Yes, what I did was bad. I'm getting help. I should still be the coach. I shouldn't have to step down for this. Yeah. Oh, I, I think he thinks that he's untouchable still. I mean, like, look, again, we talked about it. His daughter put out that thing that was like, oh, all the empty cans were because he is a big recycler. They clearly feel like, and again, I'm, I, I'm speculating some here, but to me, it seems obvious that they feel that they can kind of just say whatever, and there's going to be people who believe them and that they can, you know, contest the outcome of something that seems so <laughs> obvious and the truth seems to be fairly objective and i think most of the people out there can just accept hey this is what happened but there are people who have a hard time sometimes accepting defeat and understanding that maybe they messed up or that they're not invulnerable and, or, you, or you just sit at home and you listen for three weeks on the radio or online and people are making fun of you yeah. and saying things that, you know, you know, some people are saying, hey, man, you shouldn't have been fired in the first place. And then other people are laughing at you because, you know, you did something crazy. Some people think you've just been canceled because, mm -hmm. you know, you should be able to say slurs whenever you want. And maybe you just sit there and ruminate for three weeks and your entire life has been devoted to basketball. And that's all you've done from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. And now suddenly you don't have anything and you're just sitting there thinking about it. Yeah. I, I and you want your job back. I think that, uh, and I, I get it. I get wanting your job back and I get maybe making some bad decisions. And then it soaks in that you made bad decisions and you want so badly for that to not be true that you'll fight back on. And and look, it doesn't take long to go on Twitter and find the West Virginia fans that are like, yeah, he was just recycling. And, oh, that police officer that, you know, filed the report and breathalyzed him was a pit fan. So they this is a real thing I saw on Twitter. Oh, yeah. So so they it was fraudulent. And, you know, he wasn't drunk at all. And Bob Huggins doesn't even drink. Okay, buddy. Neither does John Daly. And, and like, I just fan fans gonna fan right we've used that phrase but that's a, that's a, a chris special but i'm sorry like again here you mentioned this before with the, and this isn't the same as the northwestern thing at all but it's one of those things where like if you're co i don't really care if you're a fan if your coach messes up like like they messed up like, there are you, a lot of good coaches out there yeah. you can have you can find other coaches you like, may, bob huggins was a really good one absolutely but and there's more there are other <laughs> ones that can be good that also represent a public university in a way that is respectful and safe. We all, again, we said this before. We all would have lost our job with the first thing. Five seconds. <laughs> the, Five seconds. I'd saying be gone. slurs on the. Like if you and I put out a podcast episode where we said what he said on the radio, we're done. Gone. We're done. And I don't even think enough people that like nobody who's connected to our employers listen to. The, but somebody would find it. Like there's just no way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry, Huggy Bear, but like you messed up. You did. You made a decision and you made multiple decisions. And like, I, I just, I don't know. It, it feels so strange to me. And 
I saw this headline. I literally thought I had to like triple check it. I sent it to you because I thought it was a joke. And I was like, there's no way this is a real thing that's happening. I, yeah, I don't know. What is real anymore? I, I, I do <laughs> think that there is an interesting... I mean, I think I know the legal answer to this question, but the idea that somebody comes and uses a shared account between husband and wife and then they send something and then that can't be attributed back to you. Like, I feel like every old person out there and some non-old people, but a lot of old people like my parents have basically the same email that they use. Like if I want to communicate with them by email, it's like goes to them. But I know, you know, I don't think the wife would log in and be like, hey, uh, I resign. <laughs> like that's just I don't think that's a viable so legal. They've got, they've got some other things to work out. Like I this yeah. I don't know, man. It's exhausting. It really I can't imagine Huggins family at hotmail.com <laughs> resigns. Like, hey honey, what are you doing? Get off the computer. No, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I want to play Spider Solitaire. <laughs> Got a, I got a game of Mahjong that's waiting for me, so I can't. Oh Boy, well, good luck, West Virginia fans out there. I hope that, I don't know. If it were me, I just feel like I'd want to move on by now. I don't know. Yeah, you got some of your, not everybody transferred out. That's kind of a win. Yeah. You're still probably a pretty good team this year. Let's just, you, you got an assistant who knows the program and coached under Bob Huggins. Maybe know? he'll just be like a proxy coach. Like, oh. he's got a little headset. <laughs> They're using pitchcom. He touches his ear during timeouts and then, uh, then immediately draws something. He's got to work on his Bob Huggins impression and just. <laughs> Do you think he's gonna have a stool mm. to honor Bob Huggins? Uh, yeah, probably. You, gotta, you so. know that. Look, they're gonna. No matter what happens here, they're gonna do some like kind of obnoxious. Like he they rename the court. Yeah. After oh, him or it's coming at some point. If he, it isn't already, it may already be. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Let's talk about more enjoyable stuff. Yeah. We're in the summer. Mm-hmm. There's no college sports. There's professional baseball. There's NBA Summer League. But I was feeling starved for for sports and especially college sports. So I, I thought, let's look back at the year that was, the 2022-2023 college sports year, all the seasons. And uh, let's talk about our favorite moments. I, so I figured we'd come up with, a, with five each. I've got some honorable mentions as well. Yeah, I do I, too. I couldn't. You can't. Yeah, not. it was so hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this this should be fun. I went back and looked at kind of the schedule and I tried to go across all the sports and there were some things that I had forgotten about. Yeah. That I was like, oh, yeah. I had one yeah, in particular. That was fun. I had one in particular that I had forgotten about. Um, and I'm sure there's others that you're going to say that I forgot mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. and maybe the other way around as well. Uh, my one before we begin because i struggled with this did you have stuff from like the spring season i did okay i didn't uh nc state baseball wasn't very good and i could i could have but i got a couple things all right so so why don't we do this let's um you start we'll go back and forth starting at number five and at the end we'll throw in our honorable mentions Okay, yeah. So I I ended up making two lists. One was like Come UVA. On. Oh yeah, yeah that's specific. Right. We did talk about and this. the other one was non UVA because I feel like you know as a fan you're just like oh my team won a big game yeah or like this thing happened. So, so I, why I, don't you start with a quick rundown of your UVA okay, list? Okay, I can do that. So my top five moments. This one was hard because there were some other sports did have some big moments like their swim and dive team mm-hmm. third straight national championship kudos uh, 
uh, only the fifth program to do that. Kate Douglas, Gretchen Walsh out there swimming in nationals and internationals and are awesome. Uh, they're my honorable mention. I didn't like, so that's oh, like, so that's how good. That much. Well, I care a lot. I just, there were some <laughs> other moments that I have no, some stronger sure. feeling about. All right. Number five, uh, UVA baseball beating Duke to go to Omaha uh, after losing the first game. That was really, really cool. Very happy that they made it to Omaha where nothing bad and disappointing happened. Uh, <laughs> number four, this was kind of an emotional one. Mike Collins in the spring game, mm-hmm. uh, rushing for a touchdown, getting the first touch of the spring game after surviving the attack on the football team and uh, getting shot. Like that's just like physically amazing, but yeah. also just emotionally amazing. I, I, I still marvel at the fact that he's going to continue to play football and probably be the starting running back this fall. Yeah. Number three for me, Chase Coleman. I was at this game against Louisville where UVA won a share of the ACC championship. And it just like was an amazing moment where Chase Coleman, who's been like the ultimate leader from the bench, walk on player for UVA and now going to be a grad assistant, like drained a three, the final three of the game. Like the crowd went absolutely insane in a way that didn't really even happen at John Paul Jones all year. Yeah. Number two, uh, UVA tennis back-to-back national champions. Also really cool about this. I was watching the broadcast from the NCAA and like we were like a minute away from winning the championship there was like on the last court mm-hmm. just needing one more game and this big fly lands on the camera <laughs> and it was like the scariest looking thing like and it just like completely blocked the camera like as That's this was like amazing. happening at the end so it was like hilarious uh and my number one moment even though this wasn't the most important moment it was my favorite moment of the year UVA basketball winning the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament against North Carolina, officially ending any talk of North Carolina being in the NCAA tournament. Bye. See you later. Thanks for playing. You're gone. <laughs> That's good. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I um, I think I would struggle to do a full thing that isn't, like if I was doing one for NC State, I think it would just be so like football and basketball centric. Right. And mine was too, but like I tried to represent the other, represent especially with, the a, other ones. with a school like UVA that has so much success in Olympic sports and, you know, things that are not basketball and football, as well as having success in basketball. Yeah. You, you think you have to highlight those things. Okay. So now, now that I got my UVA fandom out of the way, mm-hmm. number five. Yeah. Quinnipiac winning the first national championship in school history by winning the Frozen Four against Minnesota. And not only did they come from behind late, they won in overtime with 10 seconds into overtime. Yeah. Just like won the faceoff, boom, boom, score, national champions. Very, very cool. Their coach, whose name is Rand Peckhold, I think <laughs> no. that's his name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's his name. You can check me on this, but I'm pretty sure his name is Rand Peckhold. Rand Pecknold. Pecknold. Sorry. Rand Still. (laughs) Rand Pecknold. This dude has been with the team for 29 years. He he was there when Quinnipiac moved up from like to a D1 program. Had been there for 29 years. When they won, this dude was like so emotional. Like they had the interview with him right afterwards. And he just said like, I don't think I can do this. That's what he said. <laughs> I respect what, that so he much. Was like, I th- I'm just trying not to cry. I don't think that I can would, do this. That like, would be me. So I just thought it was a cool moment. I have no connection to that school at all. I just thought, like, I'm a sucker for any time a team that never has won anything wins something. Yeah. 
No, that was I was watching that. Um, this was like just off of my honorable mentions. Do you remember who scored the game winning goal? I do not. Uh, his name was Skyler Brendamore. Oh, that's son right. of Rod Brendamore. That's right. Yeah, this was an awesome. I remember this game very well, and just an incredible like set play that they had drawn up off the face off to get that. And they were just like, "Yeah, we've been practicing that all season, been ready to use it, and why not use it now?" Really, really cool. My number five comes from the football season. TCU. They're ten and zero at the time, playing Baylor. Mm. They're down two, third and seven. 22 seconds left they decide to run the ball they have no timeouts a little risky they get stopped short clock is running and so they have to sprint their field goal unit out kicker barely has time to like get set before the ball is snapped drills it to win the game stay undefeated which i think would not make my list except for the fact that as we all know tcu ends up going to the national championship game so like this was critically important for their season to not lose this game at Baylor. I think it was at Baylor. It was at Baylor, but I remember from that kick that for whatever reason, the like right behind the field goal, there were a ton of TCU students. Yeah. And so like as it's going through, these TCU students are like going absolutely insane. And that's really, I think, why it makes my list is because this is one of those that like there were a lot of things that I remembered from various sports from the year when I was making this that like I went back to watch the video clips and was just like all right I want the things that are going to make me feel the joy that you feel with college sports that's what I wanted this list to be about and I went back and watched that and it is just to me it is like everything college football should be which is kind of chaotic and like just that pure you watch those students go absolutely nuts the TCU players go nuts and it's like they should have lost this game it's like the perfect college football coaching thing of like, how stupid was it to run the ball with no timeouts? It was so dumb. Mm -hmm. But then it, it works paid out. Off but then it. it works out. That's just college football. <laughs> and I loved it. It was So that's my number five. Uh, kind of a similar vibe to that of the euphoria of a major win. My number four was App State's mm. Hail Mary win against Troy, which was a weird time of the year, but... To start the year last year, App State was the team to watch. They scored a million points. They had just come off of a game, a 63-61 loss to North Carolina, which was one of the best games of the entire year, which would have been probably number one on my list had they ended up winning, yeah. but they lose that game. So then they get game day. They host game day. Everyone in Boone is going crazy all day, and then they find themselves in a situation where they're going to lose mm -hmm. on game day, just like the emotion caught up with them. They didn't play as well as they were going to. Then they convert on a Hail Mary, improbably to win. Students rushing the field. Their quarterback, Bryce, is like all calm about this. He just like runs over and starts helping students who are like diving yeah. eight feet and like at risk of being trampled. He just like that was his first thought. He said like, "Yay, we won! Oh man, these students are going to get trampled. I got to go help them." Yeah, like how cool is that? Yeah, it would be a shame to not just kind of pour one out for the season that was App State football. It was like the most chaotic. Like those first three games, so like you mentioned, the 61-63 game against Carolina. Then they go down into College Station and win at Texas A&M. Right. Then they have this Troy game. So like 
what? After they were the, the month of September, they were must see yeah. television. Then they in lose, September, yeah. And then the rest of the season, like they lost a close game to JMU after that. But my favorite thing about the App State football season that just is so right is it ended with a double overtime game against Georgia Southern that they lost. <laughs> but like, it's just like their season was just absolutely nuts and. Yeah, they absolutely deserve a spot on this. That's a that's a good poll for for number four. My number four comes from the NCAA tournament because how could it not? Sweet sixteen, Kansas State, Michigan State. Mm, yeah, we're in overtime with a minute left. It's ninety two to ninety two. Marquise Noel is bringing the ball up the court, and uh, before he even crosses half court, my favorite part of this play happens. If you watch the clip, you can see he kind of turns to the sideline and says something. Not to his sideline. This is to some fans. And in the press conference after the game, we find out that he was talking to Isaiah Thomas and Mateen Cleaves, <laughs> who he refers to as, I was talking to Isaiah Thomas. He had a friend with him. <laughs> oh, okay. The friend was Mateen Cleaves. And I guess maybe they were talking some crap or something like that. And he just turns to them and he says, watch this. Crosses half court. And this is the alley-oop to Keontae Johnson to take the lead with, a, with under a minute left in the Sweet 16. They eventually go to the Elite Eight. They win the game. All of this in a game where he had 20 points and 19 assists, which is a single-game uh, NCAA tournament record. I think, again, like this captures everything that is the NCAA tournament, the bravado, the like huge performance in a, in a crunch time game. You have legends of March seated on the sideline, and you're talking shit to them before you make this incredible play and if the lob itself was the one if for people who don't remember he kind of looks to his coach and it's like a decoy right maybe a decoy they say it wasn't and then he yeah. looks back and just makes this quick lob to Keontae Johnson on the baseline and, and just an unbelievable play yeah this is one of the reasons that I love college sports so much your team probably isn't that good at all mm -hmm. sports. So like even if you're a Georgia fan and things are great for you football wise, that's that's what you got. Like you yeah. don't have basketball. Like you don't have a good basketball team. So you have to find things to get excited about. And that Kansas State team, I have no connection to Kansas State. I'm not sure I've met anyone who's ever gone there. I've known one person. What a cool team. Yeah. Jerome Tang was a yeah. cool coach and they were just like so fun to watch and like I was rooting for them even though again, I have no connection yep. to them. Because my team wasn't in it at that point. So, like, I, and I, I feel that way about football all the time. Like, if you just watch Saturday games, there's crazy stuff that happens. Like, if you have to go beyond your team, mm -hmm. like, my team plays at this time that I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, if you just sit there and watch, you watch, like, the pa random Pac-12 game, you're guaranteed to see, like, the craziest you've ever seen in your life every yeah. weekend. And I know that, like, um, you kind of brought this up earlier when we were preparing for this episode about... And we may still talk about it another time, but like schools that you don't have a connection to, but like, and I think Kansas State is on that list for me. I just think like, I mean, football, I think about like Colin Klein and Darren Sproles and like just fun teams and then basketball, like Michael Beasley, like that, remember that happened? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't know. I just think that um, as much, and I, I hate to bring this up, but I, I want the... The night that I attended some NCAA tournament games in Charlotte, there was an 8-9 game and a 1-16 game. The 8-9 game was Kansas State and Creighton. And I just I was like, man, this is this team is fun. Like, I don't know. And they wear purple, but like it's not tacky. 
That was still the Bruce Weber coach, right? So Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was a cool moment. My number three pick here. <laughs> Speaking about teams that we like but have no connection to. Mm-hmm. Iowa women's basketball. Oh, yeah. Caitlin Clark going absolutely God mode in the NCAA tournament like she had been doing all year. But I feel like people hadn't been paying attention, really. And then sure. once the NCAA tournament came around, like people actually started watching. The game against South Carolina, 41 eight and six against a South Carolina defense that is known for being extremely physical. And Don Staley is an insanely smart coach. Yeah. The fact that she could not get her players of like the top recruited players in the country to keep Caitlin Clark from scoring 41 points is ridiculous. Back to back 41 points. Mm-hmm. No, she went absolutely nuclear. This is like, look, I- I'll fight this fight. You will too. I know you will like, how I die and people don't pay enough attention to women's basketball. I don't care what level or gender or whatever. Caitlin Clark is the real deal. She's one of the best basketball players on the planet, regardless of who it is. Like right. this was insane. Like the Iowa team was good. Like they had other really they talented had okay players. pieces around her. It's like talented pieces yeah. around her, but not would not have been out of the second round of the tournament without no. her. I mean, this is she such a great pick. This is the honorable mentions. She was just absolutely nuts. So, and I think the the run of like you know John with uh, Haley Van Lith at Louisville, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then like she gets it back from Angel Reese some at LSU, and now Haley Van Lith is going to be at LSU with Angel Reese. Like I'm so I'm so excited for that rematch. Let's but, go. <laughs> but Caitlin Clark was just absolutely insane in the tournament and i'm glad it happened in the tournament so that people had to pay attention to it yeah i mean they had like more viewers than like almost yeah. any other co- women's college basketball game ever like it was more viewers than a lot of men's, men's sporting game, right. events. yeah like, like it, it was very watched and i will say like the angel re stuff we talked about this yeah I, all that was extremely cool for me as well and would have put that on my list except i just can't with kim mulkey winning the result of that game is lsu and kim mulkey winning Mm -hmm. a championship so no thank you but totally yeah no caitlin clark is unreal i um yeah if i ever have a daughter she's gonna spend her entire infancy watching caitlin clark highlight videos (laughs) this you have to do better than this i feel like you know i really hope I really hope that Paige Beckers gets back to health because yeah. I feel like she was had that same vibe mm-hmm. too and was highly recruited, number one recruit out of high school and was going to be that person. And she just had all these injuries at yeah. UConn. But it would be so... More personalities. I like. I want more yes. people who don't know basketball to know these people's names because they are so fun to watch. And I mean, that's the thing too is I'll put it out there like just as my, I won't get totally on my women's basketball soapbox, but we talk a lot. There's all sorts of debate in the sports world about NBA eras and was it better in the 90s? Is it better now? Whatever. We are in the most incredible women's basketball era when you think about some of the individual talent that's out there. When you think about Galen Clark, Angel Reese, the people we've mentioned, Paige Becker's kind of forgotten because she was hurt. And then you think about the players that are already in the WNBA, Aja Wilson, uh, Sabrina Ionescu. It is an unreal time. And I just think like if you haven't given it a shot, you need to. Like I think a lot of people just don't tune in and they don't give it a try because they think it's something that it isn't. It's unbelievable basketball. Well, I think for so long the criticism was like no one can shoot and – 
you know, it's it's a more fundamental game, but there's sure. nobody shooting and there's nobody dunking. I mean, Caitlin Clark was shooting NBA yeah. range three. If you're still the saying entire that, tournament. just watch. If you're still saying that, just go watch a game and you're going to realize how dumb that take is. I mean, yeah, you're not going to see – you might see some dunks, not a lot, but who cares? Like, whatever. I do. At some point, I want to talk about Charles Barkley or was it Shaq? I think it was Shaq just came out with a – Thing suggesting that women should lower the basket to nine and a half feet so that mm. there would be dunks because he says that's the one thing missing Interesting. that common fans want to. Yeah, I maybe. don't want to talk about that know. now, but yeah, I need to think about what I think about. Semi-related that. that we could talk about another time. There's these like leagues that are popping up around the country that are dudes playing on like eight and a half. Oh yeah, so it's like everybody can dunk, mm-hmm. and I think it's the greatest thing. We ever. should find one. Yeah, let's yeah, find, let's <laughs> yeah. find a local chapter. Absolutely. Of that. All right. Anyway, my number three. This is a personal one. Uh, it's my only. Well, we were there for this one. NC State Virginia Tech football. I'm sorry to my beautiful <laughs> wife, but no, um, <laughs> it's on there for a couple of reasons. So one, you know, it's my team. It's my team playing against my wife's alma mater. We were there, which I think is why I felt like I had a couple of NC State things on uh, potentially, and I went with this one. I think because it captured the joy that it is like attending these mm-hmm. events. Mm-hmm. And it was a Thursday night game. And yeah, if you're not us, you probably don't really, or you're not a fan of one of these teams, you may not remember it. Like it was not a great game for most of it. It was the first half was one of the worst half yeah. of football. State I've was seen. up three to nothing at halftime. Um, now keep in mind, like I'll make the excuses for my team. Devin Leary had gotten hurt a few weeks earlier. We were trying to figure out offensively kind of who we were. We had not played MJ Morris yet. So we're still going through Jack Chambers, who like somehow is a division one quarterback who was unable to throw the ball, or at least the coaching staff didn't think he could. Team is down three nothing. Then in the second half or sorry, we're up three nothing at halftime. In the second half, Virginia Tech scores three straight touchdowns. It's twenty one to three. My wife and all of her friends are talking shit because they all went to tech and were in Raleigh at the game trying to have a good time. And I'm like, man, I got to go the rest of this weekend. And our our listeners who are UVA fans will appreciate this because it was for your tech. We got to listen to them shaking their keys around and, you know, doing their turkey gobbles or whatever the hell they do. And then they, in- they're very good at spelling out Hokies. Yes. They spell it out. Well, some of them are good at it. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, then MJ Morris comes in the game at quarterback and in the second half throws for 265 yards and three touchdowns. And NC State comes back to win 22 to 21. And it is an experience that still feels surreal in my brain. Literally, when I was making this list, I had to convince myself that this happened. <laughs> and and which is amazing for a game that really meant very little in the grand scheme of things. Like this didn't mean much. Our season was down the toilet anyway, with Devin Leary being hurt. That's like, what clinched the Duke's Mayo Bowl, buddy. That's fair. <laughs> We're with lose to Maryland. Get... <laughs> um, well, because MJ Morris would get hurt too. Anyway, whatever. But this again, like, but I think that can be the beautiful thing about college football. It's a regular season game on a Thursday night in the middle of the season. That yeah, in the big picture, probably doesn't mean much, but it's still fun as hell. And and a comeback like that, that just and to be there for it, it it's just. I don't know. To me, it kind of captured the magic of uh, of college football. I think the great games are one thing, and the the bowls and all that stuff are absolutely have a place in all of this. But sometimes it is just about going to support your team 
and watching them do something that's just going to be in that. I mean, you think about those guys who – there's guys on that team who will play in the NFL, but there's other guys who, like, that experience may be the defining football memory they have. Mm -hmm. And that's just an amazing thing. I don't know. I I think it captured kind of, again, what I love about uh, college sports. Yeah, that was a – I was very worried for a long period of the game, both for the same reasons you were, like, that I'm going to have to listen to this all weekend, but also just, like – you were you were not in a great place in that halftime. Yeah. You were just like m- doing a lot of muttering, and I'd like say something to you, and then you just like wouldn't respond. And I was like, ah, oh, it's gonna be a fun drive back. I gotta I gotta hang out with this guy all weekend. Yeah, that was fun. I had a good time. Fun fun it, place to it, watch a game. Ended up being great. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a highly underrated college football experience. But all right, my number two. Thinking back on this. It occurred to me just what an amazing opening weekend of college football it was mm-hmm. last year. Like, I think that just set the tone for the whole season. But this game in particular stood out for me. And this is also where I should point out that if viewers have n- or listeners have not figured this out by now, I'm very uh, driven by hatred <laughs> and vindictiveness. You're like the Sith Lord of sports yeah, fans. Yeah, exactly. I embrace the dark side. So for me, I, and, and this, it wasn't long lived, but this feeling, but. The LSU loss to Florida State Mm. is number two for me. (laughs) Opening weekend, Florida State's not supposed to be that great. LSU is going to be great. Brian Kelly's first game at LSU after his whole summer of like fake Southern drawls, (laughs) weird recruiting video memes that he's done, and he's just going to walk into LSU and everything's going to be great. And then they lose on a blocked extra point in front of all their fans. Uh, Chick-fil-A opening game. God, that was so... I just cackled. I how, cackled. How sweet it is. And I don't even like Florida State. Sure. But at the same time, there was a part of me that was like, you have to listen nonstop about how much better the SEC is than everybody else. Yep. ACC sucks as a conference. Doesn't matter. Who just cares about what recruiting is? Well, here you go. Here's your one of your most popular teams losing a high profile game on a blocked extra point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. God, I love it. That is good. Now they went on to win like ten games sure. and are probably gonna be in the college football playoff. But for that moment, yeah. He you was eating shit. Kick him kick him while he's down, and then uh we'll be sitting here this time next year talking about how we had to endure Kim Mulkey getting another one and Brian Kelly winning one. And I mean, I'm really sick of LSU winning championships and they're going to win a lot more. Their baseball team won. Yeah. I'm just, I'm tired of it. Like so, I, yeah, this is I, the school that you don't like for yeah, not I don't really, really like, any real reason. I mean, no, like you don't re- like some of the people, but yeah, I mean like I, there are a lot of schools that I have that for and I dislike them yeah. disproportionately. That's fair. I, I only have the only positive view I have of them is because I did a, uh, one of my NCAA f- football 14, like road to the Heisman or whatever thing. I had a running back at LSU and okay, I kind of enjoyed that, but seems like a great reason to hang on to <laughs> fandom. Yeah. I, it's not really a fandom. It's just like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, that was fun. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, my number two also comes from the NCAA tournament. So I went back to the well for that one. And, um, it's, uh, Lamont Butler's buzzer beater. To send San Diego State to the national championship game, I was thinking back. I mean, the shot is like you can watch the video back at, and it's it's incredible on its own. But I was thinking back to watching this game, 
And San Diego State was down 14. We were at Random Row Mm -hmm. watching this in Charlottesville. Uh, Shout out. Yeah, sponsorship availability. They were down by 14. And it it really just felt like there was no way they were going to win this game. They had no energy. They were not playing well defensively. It was just like over. The game was just over. So there's games that you watch where like a team is down, but you're like, wait, okay, a comeback could happen. Like if some things fall a little differently, maybe. But this game, I just remember thinking like, God, this sucks. They're so out of it. Like this is not fun to watch. And then they just like not even through like any incredible shot making. It was just like tough defense and rebounding which is san diego state basketball in a nutshell but they managed to close the gap and then you have this possession where lamont butler kind of gets the ball in the corner dribbles in some and then retreat dribbles and it just looks like this guy's going nowhere it doesn't look like anything incredible is developing and then he just pulls up and it's true as can be dude wins the game for his team and so this is historical for two reasons one San Diego State obviously had not had this level of success in terms of getting to the national championship game. But also, I didn't realize this until today. This was the first buzzer beater in the Final Four ever made when a team was trailing before the shot. Oh, interesting. So, so it's all like tied. Yeah. Mm. This is the first time a team got had a buzzer, a buzzer beater to win the game when they were down. Huh. But, but yeah. Like you think about it, like uh, there's lots of. Um, Final Four buzzer beaters that come to mind, and we were talking the other day about the Villanova Carolina game championship game, but like it's never happened when a team was down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that was on my list as well, and also just like everyone, I feel like nationally was doing the same thing of just shouting like, "He's not going to shoot it. He's going to run out. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, shoot yeah. it." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like just barely got it off somehow. Like he didn't seem. In- he was like probing, not quite there. Can't go baseline. Yeah. Gonna pull it back. Out. Oh wait, I got to shoot the ball. Money. Unbelievable. Lamont yeah. Butler. Also, like who the hell is Lamont Butler? Like, I, like honestly, <laughs> to the casual fan, you know, it's not like this was Steph Curry making all those shots on the Davidson run or mm-hmm. you know any CJ McCollum for Lehigh. Like it wasn't like that kind of. It's just, I don't know, just such a great, great experience. It was. Yeah. All right. My number one, going along with my vindictiveness. Yeah. How we ended 2022, Mm. literally, as the seconds of 2022 ticked away. Yeah. We had the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and Ohio State and all their punchy fans Mm -hmm. were on the precipice of being able to just say, hey, y'all counted us out. You counted us out in the Big Ten. That's right. SEC, we belong. Nobody believed in them. Nobody believed in Ohio State, the team that has like has, loses one game a year max. Nobody believed in them. 50-yard field goal, and Noah Ruggles, bless his soul, shanks it just so far to the left. Yeah as the clock of new year's is ticking down literally like as it's striking midnight his kick is sailing to the left what a way to start the year now i'm not a huge georgia fan sure. i have to, i don't care about them one way or sure. the other but boy do i like watching ohio state lose <laughs> and watching their fans and the endless videos that like there were so many videos that came out after that of just like people in columbus with like at bars and then like the 
you know, the confetti is raining down I because know, it's the so new sad. year and like bartenders who don't realize they're like three, two. And like they, they don't realize that they're in trouble of being like murdered yeah. by by Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, just they don't. Oh, God. The schadenfreude. Non- yeah. Just beautiful. I like I lived on that for the first two weeks of the year. I'm so glad <laughs> to have remembered that because I had forgotten about it. And sometimes yeah. it's good to just reflect on all the many blessings that we've been given. I'm with you on this and the, and the vindictiveness and, and I'm, I, I feel the same way. And I think like there's a couple of thoughts I have on this. The, um, the fact that it was preceded by Michigan also losing. So I think my view of that is that rivalry. I just hate both of them. I think like I've, I hate how pretentious those it is very pretentious. Yes. Those fans are like, no, this is the best rivalry in sports. And I want to be clear, like anybody who's listened, and you certainly know this, I hate Duke and Carolina, but I'll find myself like defending and t- telling people like, no, the Duke Carolina rivalry in basketball is way better than anything Michigan and Ohio State could do. And I hate both of them. But like to me, it's objectively a better rivalry. But Ohio State fans cross out the M's. That's right. And they won't even say the name of Ohio and Michigan or something. I don't know. It's so f-ing dumb. But like... <laughs> So I had enjoyed the fact that Michigan, who went into that game against TCU, was so, and this is in my honorable mentions, just the semifinals in general, they were so confident they got beat by TCU in a crazy game. And then this happened. So (laughs) my wife and I, our anniversary is New Year's Day. So we have a tradition on New Year's Eve. We always go see the Avid Brothers live. And so we were at this concert, and uh, they do this every year, and they have this big countdown and it's a giant party when you hit midnight and all the, they have these balloons and confetti that come down and they're playing music and it's like everybody is in the moment. And I just remember it hit midnight. We've had this countdown. I have my phone and I'm watching this game, <laughs> <laughs> which don't get me wrong. Like I am super into the concert. I, I love it. But like this is a massive game and um I just, it, it hits midnight. My wife turns to me for like a New Year's kiss and is like, oh, happy New Year. And I just go, he missed the field goal. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple behind us where kind of they're in a similar situation. But the guy is a Georgia fan, like this older gentleman who's a Georgia fan. And he like his phone wasn't working. And so he like couldn't he like couldn't see what was going on so he just heard me yell they missed the field goal and he starts like rejoicing and so i'm having this like you start and you start kissing him and you're like (laughs) that's how that's how it goes it was just this amazing like simultaneously i'm having this incredible experience with my wife enjoying new year's together and our it's our anniversary now and like yay love and then i'm also having this communal experience with this guy behind me who were like football's awesome and like it's just this incredible like i just loved it it was so good and uh yeah what a great moment for sure my number one also comes from a place of hate all right (laughs) it maybe is bending the rules here i don't know that it's a moment but kind of is okay but it's more just the larger picture thing let me weave you a story of a team that starts a college basketball season as the Almost unanimous preseason number one team. See, I had this on this list and not the UVA list, <laughs> yeah. and I, I jerry-rigged it to, yeah, so that fair. you could have this moment. Go ahead. They start the season as a preseason number one team. 
almost every talking head, every pundit, every sports reporter, every expert is talking about how unbeatable this team will be. And they just have all the pieces. And if you fast forward to the end of the season, the NCAA tournament begins of a field of 68 teams, and that team is missing from that field of 68. This would already be a compelling story, except for the fact that the team in question is one North Carolina. It's like a reverse Disney story. Yeah. No, this they is, should have a, like an anti Disney. This is where the they story Disney should sto- be telling. Bad story. <laughs> this is a good story. <laughs> I would. Well, it was a fail story. Yeah. Like, I think they should just insert this into all the existing Disney stories. So, like, Little it's Mermaid. basically who Gaston is in <laughs> yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Little Mermaid, like, gets to be a human and comes on the surface of the earth. And the first thing she's told, hey, Carolina missed the tournament. I think that would be great. <laughs> Simba like is told that Mufasa died and and he's like yeah but what happened to Carolina like oh well they missed the tournament and they're rejecting the NIT bid so like they're just done amazing it doesn't get any better than this I I just I don't care and Carolina fans are gonna be like hey focus on your own team why do you worry so much about us because you fucking suck and I'm glad you're miserable you didn't make the tournament and we talked about it. The beginning of the we college did. basketball Listen season, up. we said, here are their weaknesses. They're not going to be as good as you think they are. I didn't call them missing the tournament entirely, no. but told you there were weaknesses. They showed all season. So great. It makes me so happy. It's, yeah, 100%, especially after the year before making the national championship. Like, I think that's also important context. And Hubert Davis's first year, he makes the national championship. And then it's like, oh my God, they're not going to skip a beat. Carolina goes away from legendary coaches and they're going to be fine. They're going to win the championship every year. No, no, it's not that easy. A lot of good players and teams out there. It just makes me as, as a state fan, what happens is almost every year, this is how it plays out. We beat them in football and then they're like, oh, wait till basketball season. Okay, we did. And then we waited till baseball season too, which wasn't that great for you either. So, like, what are we waiting for now? What's next, Carolina? Yeah. Do you have any eye roll mentions left yeah, over? Yeah, a couple, that a couple of <laughs> another one that was kind of like a full season vindictiveness was just the Texas AM. So the whole thing about them yeah. not buying players when they were clearly buying players, sure, sure. Yeah. which again, I'm in support of player buying, but Texas A&M was all like, how dare you yeah. say anything about this? And Jimbo Fisher getting paid $90 million for nine, 10 years Jimbo to be their Fisher forever. of men. Okay. And uh, <laughs> then for them to get like seven wins and then for all of these people to just transfer out. Yeah. Like even I forget his name, but there was even a guy who somebody made a comment about like what well, the portal thing got released that he was going to the portal. And this guy was like, oh, man, he got his bag and left. And then that guy retweeted it like, yeah, <laughs> so I did. Good. Oh, man. You know, we talk about the NIL stuff all the time. And mm-hmm. I think there are going to be different ways to assemble winning teams. And I get that five stars are good and they will probably be better this year. But just the idea, like the audacity of we're just going to get all these five-star players and we're instantly go ahead and crown us as a national championship contender. Like, come on, man. So that was joyful. I also had the FDU beating Purdue in the NCAA Mm -hmm. tournament. Second 16 seed over a one seed, which I didn't actually enjoy in the moment. Like, not that I was really rooting for Purdue, but I had that as, uh, you know, in reflection. It was a major moment, but even though it wasn't my favorite. That was also in my honorable mentions. Just uh, especially when you just consider like 
they weren't even supposed to be in the tournament. Uh, you know, just uh, that, that whole situation with Mary Mac and like coming up so they couldn't be in the tournament and then going to uh, winning in the first four and then beating a one seed. I know that you don't feel this way, but I'm sure there are UVA fans that feel like it's good that this felt like a more embarrassing 16 over one when you're the national player of the year and your team too. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm biased. I think it was definitely a more embarrassing loss. Like UVA yeah. didn't have an NBA player and Deandre Hunter available for their game. Right. Now, granted it's still an embarrassing loss, but Purdue had everybody yeah. and lost for sure. Um, so that was one of my honorable mentions. <sighs> I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. My other one does also come from the NCAA tournament, and I'm sorry to everyone, but it's not because I'm happy that it happened to this team, but it was like one of those quintessential tournament moments, and it is the Furman steal at three-pointer. Get out. I'm get sorry. Out. I'm no. sorry, but Move like on. objectively. Okay. A couple ones from football. So I had the semis from the college football playoff, but also Tulane over USC in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Um, I and I missed the very end of it because I we was were, actually on we the were, way over here. Yeah, I think we were recording or yeah. getting ready to record. Yeah. yeah, and then my last one is another NC State football one. It's the Ben Fenley goat game against Carolina, beating him in double overtime. That guy, you got no business losing to a team quarterbacked by Ben Fenley. Uh, he had to transfer to Cal because there wasn't going to be playing time for him at State, but he'll forever be etched in the memory of NC State fans, brother of great quarterback Ryan Fenley comes in this game and just outplays Drake may question mark, but like it happened. <laughs> uh, and this was one other one that came down to a missed field goal. Carolina's kicker misses a field goal in double overtime. And oh, you just inject it. I, like mm-hmm. this is the, and then the year before that, you know, we beat them on a crazy comeback in the last like two minutes. Like, I just love it. I love beating them, but it's funny to beat them in ways where they like have the game won. And then you just go in there and are like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll try and we'll beat you. So I have to end on that because anytime Carolina loses, it's great. But when they lose to state, it's even better, which they also did in basketball. So a lot of great moments this past year. Yeah, I'll miss it. A lot of me too. A lot of sad moments, too. Yeah. But, but there's a lot know, to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. 